0: Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide podcast, where we discuss films from every genre. So sit back, relax, and enjoy
1: the podcast. Welcome back, listeners, to the 13th and, as of right now, the final installment in our Star Trek movie review series. Today we are reviewing Star Trek Beyond. This is your co-host, Corbin. And I'm your co-host, Brad. Now, don't worry, listeners, if you have not listened to the previous 12 installments in our Star Trek movie review series, don't worry, there's still time to catch up on those. The link to the entire playlist is in the description below. And while you're already looking in the description, go ahead and click subscribe and also take a look at all of our other links to our YouTube channel, Facebook and Twitter page, and of course, our official website Follow us on all of those so you will always stay up to the latest updates here on Silver Screen Guide. And you'll also notice a link to support us. That is a great way for you to unlock bonus content that is yours to keep. And at the same time, it really helps us keep a higher bandwidth, more storage for the podcast, more facelifts and improvements to the website, and brand new music that we are currently uh, working on right now to make this an even more professional and enjoyable podcast for you. Once again, all of that is in the link in the description below. So Star Trek Beyond took a couple years. It's been, well, three years since the release of Star Trek Into Darkness. This film was released July 22nd, 2016. It really hit that summer release date. And you'll notice J.J. Abrams is not back. Directing this film. He did produce it, but JJ was working on, well, what was until Avengers Endgame, the highest grossing US film of all time Star Wars Episode 7 The Force Awakens. Which is kind of cool when you think about how he started off here in Star Trek, and apparently everyone was so impressed with his abilities, they said, We want you to bring that really exciting vision. We think you would be perfect to reinvigorate this Star Wars franchise, but that's a conversation for another time. Instead, they got director Justin Lin, who directed Fast and Furious 3, 4, 5, 6. He's currently directing 9, and he possibly may come back for Fast 10. Most of those are pretty much the best films In the franchise, especially Fast Five. Yeah,
0: those are the best.
1: Uh, I did think it was a little interesting. He's also wrote Space Jam 2. I didn't even know that was going to be a thing. He He, obviously had a comical side to (laughs) it. He does have a comical side to him. And we do have different writers this time. The writing duo Roberto Orsi and Alex Kurtzman are not back to write this film. Surprisingly, around this time, they decided to quit writing together. And just to work on separate projects, don't worry. They're still friends. It's not like they had a falling out or anything. They just wanted to do different things. And Kurtzman was supposed to direct this film, actually. Mm-hmm. He was really campaigning hard. He said, I've written the previous two. Let me direct the third. That didn't happen considering he had never directed a film before. And usually if you've never directed a film, you are not going to be handed the reins to a billion dollar franchise. Right, not a big
0: franchise like this one.
1: So anyways, neither Orsi or Kurtzman really have done much since, except Kurtzman did direct the most recent adaption of The Mummy from Universal Pictures. That wasn't well received, and he hasn't done much since. Uh, He was actually supposed to direct Venom. That didn't happen either. Um, That being said, Orsi did begin writing the script with Patrick McKay and J.D. Payne, but according to Simon Pegg, who plays Scotty in this film, Paramount thought the script was too Star Trekky, and they wanted a script more inclusive to non-Trek audiences. Here's another surprise. Good old Jonathan Frakes, who was always number one on Star Trek generation. That's, that's right, yeah. He said, hey, I want to direct Star Trek 3. He really approached paramount because we if you'll if you have listened to the other uh reviews listeners you'll know frakes directed star trek first contact and i believe star trek insurrection
0: yes yeah he did a good job
1: yeah he did very well with both of those especially with first contact but as we already discussed frakes did not receive the directing job
0: makes you wonder what goes into those decisions doesn't it
1: It really does because they do usually go through a lot of uh, choices of writers. And I'm also wondering, as I said, Ortsy and Kurtzman weren't back and Patrick McCain, J.D. Payne ultimately didn't write this script and said Paramount said, Simon Pegg, we want you to write the script. That surprised me. It surprised me too. I think he's a great uh, part of this franchise, but I really don't see... What would give them any thought for him to write this film? I know he has co-written well-received films before, and here's even more surprising: they have they have this guy named Doug Young who has really only ever done the Cloverfield Paradox, which was probably being written around the time of this film, but wasn't released a couple until a couple of years later. But that is a J.J. Abrams Bad Robot production, so maybe they have a connection somewhere. Mm -hmm. I didn't like The Cloverfield Paradox. Alan and I did review that film. You can listen to our review. Um, But Doug Young is actually in this film. He plays Sulu's gay husband in Ah, that one scene where we see Sulu, which is clearly a nod to George Takai being a gay man in real life. They wanted to make Sulu's character gay, so Doug Young, the writer of this film, incorporated himself as Sulu's husband. Now, this film was actually nominated for one Oscar. It was nominated for Best Makeup and Hair Styling, and that brings the series total of all 13 Star Trek films. In total, it has received 15 Oscar nominations. Six of those nominations alone come from the new trilogy. It's powerful. Now, the film currently holds a 7.1 on IMDb, not too far off from the previous film's 7.7, but still a noticeable drop. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Rotten Tomatoes critics gave this film an overwhelming 86% approval rating. Critics loved this film even better than the last film. Interesting. Because the last film, if you'll remember, received 84%. Now... Metascore and Cinemascore tell a bit of a different story. This film received a 68 on Metascore, still a positive score, whereas the last film received a 72. And audiences gave this film an A-, whereas they gave the last film an A. So audiences liked this film slightly less, but not by much. And some critics did like it more, but for the most part, it seems like critics thought it was just a little bit, under the second film now of course it was given a huge budget as usual of 185 million dollars but here's where the trouble comes in domestically usually a film domestically should make back its budget and then some just domestically but this film only received 158 million dollars domestically a lot of money, but it didn't get its budget back. Now, in the foreign markets, it did make $184 million for a worldwide total of $343.4 million. Clearly, it still did very well. It still made a large profit at the box office, but it should have made a lot more money. Considering these numbers, listeners, it made $70 million less domestically than the last film, $54 million less in the foreign markets than the last film, And for a worldwide total, it made $124 million less than last time. Now, of course, it was number one opening weekend. Audiences were still excited to see this film. It opened with a $59.2 million opening. That's $11 million less than last time. So clearly something went wrong in marketing Mm -hmm. or those three years. I think uh, they didn't capitalize maybe enough on the success of the last film to really get audiences back in their seat.
0: Right. That makes you feel like there was a little bit of a um, problem with the marketing of it to bring it to the attention of the, the viewing public.
1: So the top five for opening weekend was, of course, Star Trek Beyond, The Secret Life of Pets, Lights Out, Ice Age Collision Course, and Ghostbusters, the, of course, 2016 version of the film. So... So It's kind of a weird mix. We have a action sci-fi, two family films, a horror film, and a comedy supernatural film with Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. So as far as the rank in the series goes, adjusting for inflation, domestically, it's the eighth highest grossing in the series. That is a little surprising to me, honestly, because that means there are seven other Trek films aside from the previous two, that did a lot better than this film. A lot better. Well, listeners, if you have not yet seen Star Trek Beyond and you don't want the film spoiled for you, then go ahead and click pause right now. Go ahead and check out the film, watch it, and then come back and click play here on the podcast. and We will talk about all of the juicy spoilers for the film. The Enterprise crew is three years into their five-year mission. Tired of the tedium and considering existential matters to be more important than getting rival alien clans to find peace, they're all deciding to go their own way. Kirk, reprised by Chris Pine, ponders his father's death, his birth, and decides to leave the Enterprise for an admiral position. Spock, reprised by Zachary Quinto, wishes to take up Ambassador Spock's duties on Vulcan, and Uhura, reprised by Zoe Saldana, and Bones, reprised by Carl Urban, also want to move on with their lives. Upon arriving at an enormous habitable space station called Yorktown, the Enterprise is tasked with taking a lone survivor to find her people beyond the nebula, a place beyond the explored reaches of the Federation. Once they make it past the nebula, they are immediately attacked by the nefarious drone forces of Kral. He seeks an ancient artifact called the Abernath. After thinking he gains the device, he promptly decimates the Enterprise but Kirk actually has the Abernath and has hidden it. Everyone crash lands on the nearest planet where Kral has established his base. Everyone is separated, but ultimately comes back together when Scotty, reprised by Simon Pegg, meets a new friend, Jayla, played by Sophia Butella. She has come upon a 100-year-old Starfleet ship, the USS Franklin, led by Captain Balthazar, which was thought to be lost in space. Ultimately, Kirk saves his crew from the clutches of Kral, but at the cost of losing the Abernath. The enemy escapes, headed to destroy Yorktown, and then from there the rest of Starfleet. It turns out Crawl is actually the long-lost Captain Balthazar, played by Idris Elba, who ever since has determined Starfleet had abandoned them, and now he's out for revenge. Kirk and crew find a way to destroy his drone warriors, and Kirk himself duels with Crawl, who is defeated by his own evil plans. With Yorktown saved and the crew realizing how they work better together than apart, they decided to stay aboard the enterprise for future adventures as credit's roll now the two things we should address before we get into too much of discussing the film is that prior i believe prior to this film's release not too long before leonard nimoy had passed away mm. and leonard nimoy as those of you know who did watch star trek 2009 was an integral part of that film of course he played the original spock and he did make a, I guess you could say, a meaningful appearance in the previous film. Yes. And they did write it into the script that Ambassador Spock passed away in this film. Right, right. And that ties into, well, I guess the other thing I should say is that sadly, the uh, young man who played um, Chekhov, who was pl- Anton Yelchin. He passed away not long after this film uh, was released or or had finished shooting in just a weird freak accident where he was outside his home and his, his Jeep malfunctioned and pinned him up against a wall and just crushed him to death. Absolutely tragic. It was really tragic. There was some weird recall on the Jeep. So sadly, Anton Yelchin, the young actor who played Chekhov, passed away. So two... Star Trek cast members um, did die surrounding the production of this film, but that's not at the very end of the credits, it says for Anton, but as far as Leonard Nimoy passing away, they do write that into the film, and that addresses kind of a big existential theme touched upon within the first act of the movie, and that is... Thinking about what is our meaningful Mm -hmm. purpose. Right. It can't just be to, as Kirk seems to do, always trying to settle disputes with these weird little aliens. He's thinking, my father died saving the ship on the day of my birth. And so he kind of has trepidation about really celebrating his birthday. And I did like that line when he said, I'm a year older than he would ever be.
0: Yeah, that was a great line.
1: Yeah, I thought that was very... Meaningful. And they're and the first act of this film is filled with a lot of, I would say, maturity and pondering, mm-hmm. um, getting older, which is kind of funny because these crew members really aren't that old. But at this point, they're probably getting close to middle age now. Yeah. I think that's a little different though, because the previous Star Trek films were really never about getting older. It was always Painting yourself in the best light and always trying to relive your glory days, especially when we see William Shatner free climbing (laughs) climbing. El Capitan. (laughs) And he's how old? (laughs) And he's about 68 or something. So, But this film, I do like. It takes a more
0: mature approach. I think it takes a little more realistic approach, too. There was a little bit of fantasy in some of the way that the other original films treated the, the concept of age and existentialism.
1: That's a very good point that these characters, as you're saying, are being a little more realistic. In the previous two films, this young Kirk has always been playing it real fast and loose, yeah. not really caring about the consequences. But now you can see he really does care more so about the consequences and his crew. And he's really mm-hmm. given that opportunity to go down with the ship right. there within the first act. Um, of course, he doesn't die, but it does Give a good callback to when his father mm-hmm. did sacrifice yeah. that, and Kirk has to think what What am I really here for?" But he also has to think, "I don't want to just be a captain and do these missions mm-hmm. forever. I also want to be an admiral, kind of how Admiral Pike was, and you could right. see he kind of wants to follow in those footsteps as well. And Spock also feels the weight of, "I'm getting older, but I'm not having any children." And especially with the fact that Vulcan was wiped out, and they're trying to start a new planet, Vulcan, he wants to help repopulate that. So yeah, it would give his life to
0: that work that was so important to his people. You know, creating a new planet and building that that uh, life on that planet. You could see where that would be a huge draw to a landing spot.
1: So I'm really enjoying all of these character moments. I like to see the characters have progressed. Beyond their more carefree spirits, we saw in the previous films. The film is still filled with action, but I like to see the characters grow. And I think we're really getting that. And I would say, probably for the most part, for the very first time in this trilogy, I think these characters are really clicking together. Mm-hmm. I really believe they're actually friends because, as it says, it's been three years, not only in real life, but in film time since the previous film and i think that's something that was missing in the past two films that was just a given in the very original films and even within the next generation is those people had been on television together working almost every day together for a decade right and so it's just they were so comfortable together on set they were friends in real life Mm -hmm. and these people aren't Weren't friends in real life, probably when they first came together, they were brand new cast members for a brand new movie, but it's been uh, seven years, actually, (laughs) since the very first Star Trek film. So you can see, I think these characters click a lot better together. Uh, There's a lot better chemistry. I think they're more comfortable together. So I really like seeing these characters even more so now on screen. I
0: agree completely.
1: I will say probably my favorite character pairings in this are Bones and Spock. Hands down,
0: they it, Bones continues to be my favorite character in this particular uh cast. He just he nails that character. I mean, if you if you if you're familiar at all with the old original, uh that he may, he nails it. He just really makes me believe he's the same guy.
1: He does, and the way he plays off of Spock, where they make these funny little jabs, where where Spock said, "I was going to tell Kirk I'm I'm resigning to do something else," and he's like, "Well, how would he take it?" And Bones said, "I know how I'd take it. I'd have a celebration."
0: Yeah, yeah it's very antagonistic, it, it, out of fun, you know. It's right. Really, really good.
1: There's always that fun antagonism between the two yeah. characters that really works, and I really do like when we see Spock. He has a near-death experience when that mm. shard comes through him, mm-hmm. and um, and then he makes a joke, and Spock actually laughs, and that's yeah. something we would never really something seen we before. Never saw with Leonard Nimoy, pretty much. I, at least I don't recall him ever being that humorous. I don't recall that in any of the previous films, but seeing a different side of Spock, where he, where life is different now. With his planet wiped out, his mom gone, he wants to have children. He's considering, do I need to settle down with Uhura or what do I do? And I think coming towards that near-death experience and then finding the capacity to kind of laugh about it and be a little bit more enjoyable with life, I really like that scene.
0: I really like that
1: too because one of the
0: things, having been a Trek fan all my life, one of the things that I've appreciated about this new cast, and particularly Spock, is that in this new character, it's, uh, uh, his name was the new guy, the new Spock? I forget his quinto. Oh, Zachary Quinto. Quinto, yeah, I couldn't think of the Zachary. He he really actually uh, shows us more the human side of Spock. In the original series, Leonard Nimoy, of course, was, the, he was this quintessential Vulcan, you know, that was all about logic and all about, you never really saw as much of the human character. You know, Spock's half human. But uh, we're we're seeing that in the younger Spock, you know, and and almost in actually this episode, I wouldn't say episode, but this movie actually is maybe setting up that older character because we see that younger character uh, that's that's, you know, looking at both sides of life relationships and everything. And then eventually we know he gets more stoic. We know that he does because when you watch the original series, you would have never dreamed that him and Uhura were romantic at one point in time. So, I mean, that never even crossed my mind in the original days. So maybe it did somebody else's. I was just oblivious to it. But uh, that would have been a great question for Gene Roddenberry. You know, if I could sit down and interview Gene Roddenberry, when you see these relationships, newly written scripts out there, you know, in the 2000s, is that did that even enter your mind in the original days?
1: I don't know. It would have been a fun question though. That would've been fun to know Roddenberry's take on these new characters, especially considering he was he's very covetous of yeah. his property. And that's understandable, sure. but covetous to a fault. If you'll go back and listen to our previous right. podcast, you'll see how <laughs> he would get very strict and picky about scripts and, and what was going on. And I do really like the plot of this film. It is a fun, simple, straightforward, it feels like it's plucked right out of the 60s show. And even they all have the red, blue, and yellow colorful outfits just recreated from the show. So in that sense, I like that we're not going to copy off of Star Trek 3, The Search for Spock. Because Star Trek Into Darkness was, in a way, a reworking of Star Trek 2, The Wrath of Khan. So I think some people were kind of worried that They were just going to start paralleling all the films, but just change Mm -hmm. a couple things. Mm -hmm. And that wouldn't be very original. I thought it worked with Into Darkness, but I do like they went back to an original story, just like they did with the first one. But it seems like Star Trek can never get away from almost every other movie or every three movies. They have to make it into a TV show type plot. Yeah, that's true. So in that sense, I don't like it because this had the really epic scope and epic stakes in Star Trek and its sequel, whereas this one goes back to the very small stakes. I'm not saying they can't have a small plot, but on the big screen, I wish it was bigger. And the other thing is I wish for Pete's sake, Star Trek could actually make reasonable sequels, not just episodic. Right. Installments. That's a
0: weakness in this soul franchise. It really is.
1: I want to see the Romulan or not the Romulan. I want to see the Klingon Wars. Yeah. Begin and make that into this big, because that's that's yeah, the all thing. All ever do
0: is talk about it, allude to it. Let's see
1: it. And I was disappointing because in the last film, we only got the Klingons on their homeworld for the first time for maybe five minutes of the right. film. But that's something that Star Wars nailed and Star Trek could never really figure out. Right. Star Trek has this grand epic, in, in the truest sense of the word, an epic overarching narrative that spanned you know half a century and even more than that within the timeline of the film with the Skywalker saga. This has the same characters pretty much, but they've never really figured out a way to do that. The closest we got to that was in this new installment in the very first Star Trek 2009, where Leonard Nimoy comes back in time. And now we have Mm -hmm. two Spocks Mm -hmm. and it's altered everything. This seems to have pretty much dropped any thought of really altering the the future, I guess. So that being said, that as well as what we just talked about, these existential moments we really like in the first act. Unfortunately, I don't feel like they really tie back around Mm -hmm. to the third act because ultimately they decide my place is with the crew on the enterprise um i guess the thing that i did like was ambassador spock Nimoy's character left the young spock kind of a little time capsule and it was a picture of them you know 30 right. years into yeah, the future I like that yeah that was cool to see the original cast once again and mm-hmm. spock gets to look and say this is what we're going to grow into right. we're going to uh, do something great. And especially if Ambassador Spock found this important to send to me, then my place must still be here with the Enterprise. That's the only mm-hmm. real tieback we get from that existential pondering in the first act. I think they should have tied that in a lot better.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think it it's uh, because it comprised, you know, most it, it was what set the pace for the movie. Uh, but then it's dropped for so much of the movie and it just was tied back weekly.
1: The other thing that I was disappointed with were the visual effects for this film. They were not as great as last time. If I'm not mistaken, the last two films got Oscar nominations for mm-hmm. visual effects. Mm-hmm. Clearly, this one didn't. Um, and I especially noticed it when Kirk was talking to these, to the aliens in the beginning. I did not think those aliens looked good, the ones that rolled, and they're actually miniature. Yeah, that well, was strange to me. When we saw them up close, that really worried me that they had got a visual effects downgrade for some reason. And for the rest of the movie, don't get me wrong, some of the visual effects are really great, but they're just not as crisp and realistic right. as the previous film. not up films. to the
0: same level, I agree.
1: The other thing is the film was underlit in a lot of scenes, it was hard to tell sometimes what was going on. It was dark. Mm-hmm. And um, I also felt there was this real kind of uh, airbrushed glossiness to some of, mm-hmm. some of the look that I also, when you combine that with the lighting of the film, it makes it hard and unpleasant to look at. Um, they really had, they really struggled to figure out how to light it because some scenes were really bright and some were really dark. I also did not like it all the way a lot of the action fight sequences were filmed. I had to close my eyes once or twice because I was getting dizzy with mm-hmm. how it was just shaky cam, tons of quick cuts. I hate, I hate yeah. that. Yeah, I agree. Because I mean, if, if it can't hold me in the
0: scene, then they've lost me. You know, I, I have to be into the action and I feel a part of it. I mean, that's the whole point of, of the theatrical. You know, you want to be a part of it.
1: Yes, you don't want to be taken out of the Not theatrical just an observer, experience.
0: I want to be experiencing it.
1: The other thing that we both talked about was we were going with it for the first act. And then at the end of the first act, they really switch it up by destroying the Enterprise, which is something we've only ever seen towards the finale of the film. I guess I liked that twist, how now they're stranded on this planet. The one thing that really bothered both of us is we have no idea what's going on really in this plot. Yeah, the first act did not develop the real plot of the movie.
0: Gave me some nice character, existential moments and thoughts, but it didn't really develop the plot of the movie. This gift that Kirk's trying to give to these little creatures, we have no clue what it's really for and why it's so important. And, And all of a sudden, you're into this whole ship being destroyed in this amazing moment, and you really don't know why. you know, what are they after? What's the game plan here?
1: And a few other examples that I could pick out was, like you said, that first example with Kirk giving, trying to give it to these aliens. I thought that had nothing to do with the rest of the film. I did too. So (laughs) I wrote it off as just another kind of fun opening. But then where they're saying, oh, no, this is integral to the rest of the plot. I thought, great. Well, you didn't you (laughs) didn't signal that to me in any kind of way to saying, remember this for later. Um, They totally wrote it off uh so much so i i was really lost on that also when they are in yorktown this weird looking ship approaches yorktown and i thought oh mm. this is the enemy they're going to this is a missile or something mm. or some parasite they're going to get into yorktown no it was that weird looking lady who said my crew was yeah was lost and i need you to come help me and Kirk's like well let's do it we're the only ones that can do it I felt they were thrown into that quickly Mm -hmm. as well and then boom all of a sudden this Kroll guy comes he wants it and then they're all separated and I remember you and I were really confused because then all of a sudden Sulu and Uhura are just walking around even though they were prisoners. Yeah. And then they got caught again. This movie's missing connective tissue. Connective
0: tissue. That's a good (laughs) word because you're, you know, you're, you're set up for this existentialness. And then all of a sudden, as we mentioned, you're in act two, you're this, this, uh, trip, this, this journey comes up to go to help this lady with her, uh, you know, rescue her people. And it's just kind of thrown at you like, Oh, well, that's a, it has nothing. There's no emotional tie to the trip. There's no intrigue to the trip, really. It's just a trip. It's, and there's a better word than trip, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but it, uh, what's a word that I'm looking for? You know, it's a journey that they have to make. It's, a, it's I'm just tongue tied. I can't think of the
1: word. Yeah, but, I, know, I it's, understand it's a, what it's you mean. a project
0: that's kind of thrown at them, but not... There's no stakes to it, really, other than, you know, that's what they do in every episode. They go explore and help somebody or whatever.
1: Well... I was really disappointed in that. Right. That's the whole point is, for the first time, we have an inconsequential happenstance plot. Whereas in the first movie, all of this... Kind of was foreshadowed with Nero right. coming through this big thunderstorm in space, and his father dying, which tied back to Kirk having to fight Nero, and they're searching right. for Ambassador Spock. That film had great, great setup in great the first act. That issue. yeah, you got to set it up from the first act, and this unfortunately, and I'm going to blame Simon Pegg and uh, Young here. They backload everything onto the third act. Yeah, so. This is not the prestige. This is not the illusionist. Don't right. try to be. Right. Don't good try a good and analogy. don't try and pull the wool over our eyes this whole time because in the end, ultimately, we don't care because we exactly. weren't given a reason to exactly. care in the
0: beginning. Exactly, and that's why I thought this movie had it had uh, a lot of great points to it. It had uh, some good scenes, but at the same time, I was not emotionally connected through most of the movie.
1: That was a problem for me. And there's absolutely no reason to be. And the other reason we were emotionally connected in Star Trek Into Darkness is because Khan murders Pike. Mm -hmm. Right. right there in front of Kirk's eyes. And Kirk says, we have to go stop Khan. But then Khan gives himself up. That had great intrigue as well. Totally invested. This is happening so quickly. I have no idea what's going on. I don't really care. Once again, this harkens back to more of a star trek insurrection plot where right, right you don't know what's going on we've had this planet. experience thrown at us before <laughs> and i think this is kind of the star trek curse where it's like every once in a while they have to give you this weird happenstance plot that makes no sense at all and you're you're kept as just as much in the dark as the characters are uh, it's just disappointing and, and,
0: and i will say this to to lend a comparison to star wars when you look at the episodically as you go through star wars from old to new even you know the the four five and six that came out first back in the 70s that sort of that never happened every time there was a new star wars movie i was drawn deeper and you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. there wasn't this big letdown all of a sudden which happens periodically in this franchise
1: yeah they're building the mythology in star wars whether for good or bad, they were building mythology. This That's one, a good, good phrase, as there. you're saying, is sometimes it's connected, sometimes it's episodic. They can't ever figure out what they really want to do, what they really seem to want to go in the direction for for yeah. this series. Uh, they need a lot better direction, I would say. And the other thing is, ultimately, we really just got lost. I, I don't, un- I never uh, understood what this Abernath device did. I don't know how Kroll knew about it. I don't right. know what he wanted with it. I don't really know how Kroll stayed young and why he looked like some weird right. creature from Babylon never five.
0: explained any of that stuff enough for us to be invested in it.
1: No. And so ultimately they lost me. I was just, I, I'm like, okay, it's a fun adventure. It's yeah. a little weird to see Kirk on a dirt bike. Yeah. Or or listen to I thought it was the Gorillas but it's actually the Beastie Boys. Oh, that's who that was. I yeah. I looked it up. Uh I mean it's fun but I don't understand what changing uh frequency does to blow up these drones. Plus it seems like uh crawl, crawl has an infinite number of army soldiers yeah
0: that was unbelievable to me that that when you see that swarm and that's the only thing i can think of, like a swarm they yeah. call them bees yeah you know? they did. when you see that swarm that swarm on the screen looked like millions
1: yeah because they most. were you know
0: it, it, there's no way he had that many people in that many ships you know at first i thought they were little robotic gnats of some kind like a bee or something and then i realized those are actually little ships that have people inside i mean his soldiers inside of That was totally unrealistic. Not even sci-fi worthy, I thought.
1: Oh, I agree as well, because it came out of nowhere. It didn't make any sense. And you brought up a great point, is when the Enterprise is being destroyed, they destroy it. They just go through it like it's nothing. And you're saying, if they have this power, why aren't they just destroying Starfleet? Why do (laughs) they need this little device? They don't need
0: this little thing. They can go out and destroy all of Starfleet, declare war, and go, go, go for it.
1: That's like watching a Star Destroyer you know, blow up a planet exactly. and then saying, but we need the Death Star. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, but you clearly don't. You clearly don't. They had so. I mean,
0: that there was, that was undefensible. Yeah. Well, that swarm, when it came after the Enterprise, it was undefensible. And if the, un, and if the Enterprise was undefensible, huh, all of Starfleet is.
1: Exactly. Yeah. They tore through it far too easily. I was really shocked and surprised about all of that as well. So those are, those are my main criticisms. And once we do get the reveal and I'll be honest, listeners, I did remember watching this a couple years ago. I said, Hey, it's on Amazon prime video. Let's just give it a watch. I remember not being very invested and I remember not really liking it that much. And the other thing I remembered was, did you remember that Idris Elba was the bad guy? Not until the
0: last minute. I forgot that he was even in the movie. Um it all of a sudden I started to remember this film at that point. But, you know, I say I didn't remember it before that. It just now I know why I didn't remember it. It just is a little inconsequential. The whole film is Um, good reveal. Great character. I mean, I love Idris Elba, a great actor, Um, but but not used really well in this film. He could have been used so much better.
1: Yeah, he definitely could have been used a lot better. Um, Especially considering the big reveal is he is Captain Balthazar of this USS Franklin that was...
0: Never explained how he ended up looking like Kroll.
1: No, that didn't explain anything either. And there really wasn't any emotional connection to... Balthazar, they didn't pull right. out a character yeah, from he was no hero the original or series.
0: Yeah, just I lost spaceship. Yeah.
1: I think they could have. They they did it with Khan. They pulled him back from the TV show. Right. They should have done that. But who's who's Balthazar?
0: Yeah, it made me wondering, Did I miss something was he in the, was this in the original series? I don't recall it.
1: I don't think so. Yeah. I I have no idea, but I did remember it being Idris Elba and I also wasn't too surprised because they didn't disguise his voice well enough for me. Uh, I was actually able to pick his voice out, Good for you. and I thought, "This is Idris Elba." And I thought, "What's Good he? For what's he doing?" And then you learned they were all humans once, but then they became yeah. monsters, and they have this fairly undefined chip on their shoulder. They feel like Starfleet abandoned them, mm-hmm. so now they want to destroy Starfleet, even though it's been uh, like a hundred years. Yeah. And no,
0: no no again, no connective tissue to that storyline.
1: I don't know why it took them that long. Yeah. I I don't know. A lot of this, none of this really makes sense, unfortunately. It's all too it all comes together too easily and they don't don't explain. It's uh, you know, ask questions later. You yeah. just write first, ask questions later. Yeah, it seems like. So I was disappointed. And I gotta say, by the time he wants to destroy Yorktown, I don't know why he wants to destroy Yorktown. I thought it was a fairly new building. I don't know how he knows anything about it. Apparently he has super technology, but then when he is destroying it and he's looking more like Idris Elba uh, and his plan is foiled. I don't really care. I don't, I really don't even know what's going on anyway. Yeah.
0: Well, it's sad when you, when you come to the point, you've invested this much time in the movie and you, you love the characters, you love the franchise and you come to the point where you don't really care at the end because, you know, I mean, I hate to say it, but I knew they're not going to blow it up. You know, they're not going to, he's not going to win. Indus is not going to destroy the Yorktown with Chris Pine right there. This is not going to happen.
1: Yeah. And unfortunately, Star Trek doesn't seem to ever really have the guts to go for it. Just like, I mean, they already did it. Spock died in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. That was, I was shocked actually.
0: Well, I was too in the original. Back in the day, I was like, Are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. How could there ever be a Star Trek again if Spock's dead? You know, I was young and I never thought about finding him, bring him back or something, but
1: it was good drama. It was. And I know a lot of people were disappointed with the end of the last film because Kirk does die, I guess. But a lot of people felt it was a cop-out, that they could use Khan's magic blood to bring him back to life. So a lot of those stakes were quickly undermined there as well. And once again, yeah, this film. I still
0: liked it better than this, though. Wow.
1: Yeah, because I don't. We don't have any connection to Yorktown, mm, right? I guess I'm glad he's trying not to blow up. We don't see him try and blow up Starfleet again because we saw that in the past two movies. Right. It's always San Francisco, yeah. It's Starfleet always. <laughs> so I'm glad we didn't see that. But once again, I don't really have any connection to Yorktown. I don't even really understand it. I feel like it's some brand new space space planet, planet they yeah. built out there he wants to destroy it i guess and he'll think that does something i don't even know how he's going to destroy it with this abernath doesn't make any sense to me he's going to shoot it through their air ducts i guess
0: didn't somebody make the comment in this film that it was looked like some s- snow globe
1: yeah they said it was a giant snow globe who did
0: that i can't remember uh,
1: probably I bones i thought it was a great comment <laughs> well brad what is your rating and recommendation for star trek beyond
0: well, uh, clearly I don't like it as well as I did the last two. Uh, it was a it was a good drop for me. I mean, it, it still has its good points. It really does. It's not a bad movie. Uh, but I'm struggling to give it a, a seven. I, I mean, I just, I like these characters. I like them. I mean, it, it, I almost want to drop it to a six, you know, which is a big drop from where I've been on the other two. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm probably, I could probably give it a seven, but I'm a pretty generous guy.
1: Star Trek Beyond is a colorful outer space adventure that harkens back to the fanciful plots of the sixty TV series. For once, the characters feel completely comfortable in their roles. Pondering their future as they age is a welcome approach to exploring character depth that none of the previous films ever thought to touch upon. Unfortunately, the story is backloaded with exposition, causing plot reveals to happen far too late into the story. This leads to confusion on a number of points including, most importantly, the entire villain's premise and promise of hatred and destruction for Starfleet. The story clicks together a little too slick, making things feel too easy and not completely earned. While this is a fun Star Trek film, a lack of a coherent plot makes this a difficult time to enjoy. Sadly, this is the weakest installment in the so-far trilogy. Therefore, I give Star Trek Beyond 6 stars out of 10 with a weak recommend. Now, as we wrap up our review of the entire series here, I'm going to give you a ranking just so you can keep it straight of how I rank all the Star Trek movies. So after giving it some thought, although last week I said Star Trek Into Darkness was my favorite, I really think it's it's mostly a tie between Star Trek 2009 and Into Darkness. But if I really had to give one out, I'd probably say the 2009 one just for a bit more Originality and that really fresh excitement. So then, for my number three pick would be Star Trek Nemesis. Then number four, Star Trek First Contact. Number five, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Number six, Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. Number seven, Star Trek Beyond. Number eight, Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country. Number nine, Star Trek Insurrection. Number ten, Star Trek For the Voyage Home. Number eleven, Star Trek Generations. Number 12, Star Trek, The Motion Picture. And finally, I would say the worst film of the entire series, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier.
0: That's a good list, Corbin. That's that's a pretty accurate list. I like that.
1: So I have recommended eight of the 13 films. Star Trek Six barely made it in there. Mm-hmm. Five did get and not recommend. So even though it seems like there were quite a few low points in the series, for the most part, it is a very very good recommendable series right now it has been three years once again since we've had this star trek film so there's still time for a fourth film remember the longest gap we've ever had was that reboot gap between nemesis and star trek of seven years so in july 2016 it was confirmed a fourth star trek film was in development
0: interesting it
1: would see the return of chris hemsworth's Okay. Who died in the very beginning. Right. He was going to come back and as Kirk's father. Um, So then in December, 2017, this is where things get weird and interesting. Quentin Tarantino of all people, director, multiple Academy award winner, director of Pulp Fiction, Django Unchained, Kill Bill, his most recent film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Quentin Tarantino approached J.J. Abrams. He pitched an idea to him and J.J. really loved the idea Mm -hmm. apparently for it. Um, And it would, I assume it would still, it would be using the same cast. He said he loves this cast. He thinks Mm -hmm. they really nailed it, Mm -hmm. but it would be a whole new story. And as of right now, Mark L. Smith, who wrote The Revenant, is writing the script.
0: That's great. Between that director and that writer. Wow. That could be awesome.
1: Yeah. I think it could be maybe the best Star Trek film we ever got. Probably the most, the oddest Star Trek film we ever got.
0: Well, we need something fresh to juice this up.
1: (laughs) I think so too. Uh, You know, with Quentin Tarantino, nothing is ever as it seems. It's never predictable. But they always make you think. They're always super fun. They're very well written. Um, Now, as of April, 2018... J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay, who were supposed to write this film, were still writing Star Trek IV, but the one that was going to involve Chris Hemsworth coming back. Hmm. But Chris Pine and Chris Hemsworth walked away from the film because Paramount was going to cut their salaries.
0: Oh, wow. No kidding? Yeah. Yeah, that's cheap.
1: And I I don't know how you're supposed to retain your stars like that. And Hemsworth said the script was underwhelming. And he's like, I'm not going to come back from the dead for this. (laughs) They're
0: going to kill this franchise if they, if they try and replace Chris Pine at this point.
1: It's pretty weird that they, this, this all went down and Chris Hemsworth really thought it really wasn't worth his time Mm. to do it. So in January of this year, that Star Trek four film was canceled. Yeah, that's good. But Tarantino's movie is still moving forward. Now that he's finished and it's all out and everything once upon in time in Hollywood, which I think we're going to be seeing at the Oscars this year, Tarantino is flouting this as his 10th and final film. He, he's always said ever since he started making films, once I have made 10 films and I'm going to retire, he said, hmm. I feel like a director after 10 films kind of loses their steam and loses their creativity. So he's going to start writing books and plays. He'll so, be
0: great at whatever he does.
1: That's pretty cool. but. I think it would be kind of cool, especially because Tarantino grew up with the series. He yeah, grew up watching yeah. the original series, exactly. So I think it would be pretty cool um, for this to be his final film. What a what an interesting way to go out on his uh, s- uh, his career. And uh, the one thing though that he does want, which we've never seen before, and I'm not sure, he doesn't want the language to be restricted. He, you know, Quentin Tarantino's yeah, always have always
0: had a lot of foul language,
1: lots of language. Yeah, it's so pretty edgy stuff. Right. So he says, hmm. if you let me make this movie, I want it to be an R rated Star Trek film. So my character can say whatever they want. whole new experience. <laughs> It'll be a whole new experience. <laughs> there would be no holds um, on the language. Um, but this does seem to be our best hope for a new Trek film. And it would use the current cast
0: it's exciting to me i'm i'm anxious to see something like
1: that and honestly who knows if paramount would even let him make a r-rated star trek film
0: yeah i mean that's a challenge you know to take it to that jump but who knows i'm guessing it might Never have it some
1: some more swearing in it maybe one or two f-words but i don't think tarantino will go full force and yeah. um make it too foul mouth
0: well i think it would i think it would destroy some of the credibility of the characters and who they've been built up as yeah, I, integrity and character—you know—just development.
1: I agree. I think at that point, if it went too beyond into that realm, yeah. and Spock is saying the f word in every yeah, other sentence, can't see him doing that—that that would almost feel more like a parody than exactly. an actual film. Exactly. And I think a lot of people would really struggle to take that seriously, despite how self self-referential and and lighthearted it is. Right, but. That's yet to remain if that will ever even come to fruition or if something completely new will happen. So as I said, listeners, this is the final installment in our Star Trek movie review series. I can't believe we've already watched all 13 Star Trek films. That went by really
0: fast. We started that as a summer project to look up fast. It, it just went. I mean, we're past summer, but still it went by fast.
1: It really did go by quickly. And we want to say thank you listeners for coming on this Trek with us as we reviewed all of the films. We hope you enjoyed watching these movies. Movies as well, and giving us your thoughts, and coming along and listening to our thoughts as well. But we do want to know what your thoughts are on this 13th Star Trek film. So don't forget to comment your thoughts down below. Whether you're um, going to comment on the Facebook post, or if you're on Podbean, or you're listening on YouTube. And if you are listening on YouTube, don't forget to give us a thumbs up. But Brad, thank you for joining me. Corbin, thank you for
0: bringing me along on this Trek, if you will. It's just been a lot of fun. And you're a great, great reviewer. I really enjoyed working with you.
1: Well, thank you, Brad. I'm really glad we both got to do this together. And we got my perspective as a brand new Trek fan who had really never seen the movies before, except a couple of those originals once. And Brad, who grew up with the Star Trek TV series. That's right. So we really got the bust of both worlds with this reviews. We really got different perspectives on the film that we were able to bring you brand new insights for it. So I was really glad we got to do this. It was a lot of fun. Next week, listeners, Alan is back and we are coming back. We're coming full circle. They drew first blood, not us. We will be reviewing next week rambo last blood
0: oh i can't wait to listen to you guys on that one wow that's gonna be great
1: it's gonna be a lot of fun you're not gonna want to miss our review for this film especially because this film is very polarizing critics hated audiences love it and of course we have reviewed the previous four rambo films that was our very first retrospective movie review series our very first review alan and i together here on the podcast three years ago almost to the date was Wow. rambo first blood can't wait to listen to you guys so we can't wait to bring you next week our review for last blood and then after that we will have our review of pet cemetery 2019 men in black international and then we will be picking up and finishing what we started earlier this year we'll be reviewing the last half of the m night Shyamalan films and of course as we do every halloween We'll be releasing our Halloween special with a brand new movie to review. We're keeping that under wraps just yet. We want it to be a spooky surprise. What exactly? will We will be reviewing this Halloween. And of course, you have our Thanksgiving special and our Christmas special to look forward to as well, interspersed among the M. Night Shyamalan reviews. So of course, here on Silver Screen Guide, we always have something for everyone. We have films from every genre that we've reviewed, action romance mystery it's all here so go ahead and look back through the archives look back through the movie review series find something you like go ahead and share it with your friends and family we love talking about movies and we love talking about them with you once again don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you will receive the update for our next week's review coming next monday of rambo last blood once again brad thank you for joining me thanks again corbin it's been a pleasure. And we will see you next week, listeners. Live long and prosper.